Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz trumpeter Jay Sollenberger. This local jazz stalwart is always busy with the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra, the Vine Street Rumble, and other outfits. He grew up in McPherson, Kansas, and attended Wichita State University and North Texas State University. While at North Texas in the 70s, he played in the internationally famous band One O'Clock Lab Band. That led to work with the rock group Chase, but since high school, Jay had an ambition to play with the Stan Kenton Orchestra. Eight years later, that goal was achieved, and in November of 1974, he became a member of the Kenton organization playing second trumpet. That led him also to joining the Woody Herman Orchestra playing lead trumpet. He's got great Kansas City tales, insights, and stories, so please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Jay, thank you for taking a minute out to talk with me on jazz. I always really dig seeing you play with the jazz orchestra. Well, fantastic. Let's talk about the ever-present right now and the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. Tell me how you got associated with them, how long you've been there, just kind of how you feel about being in the band. Uh, I love the band. It's my favorite band in town, and and uh, my other favorite band would be the Doug Tiley Quartet, and, of course, Doug Tiley plays in the band in, in the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. But uh, I am a proud charter member of the band, and Steve Malloy is our lead trumpet player, and he handpicked all the trumpet players way back in, I think, 2003. We've been together 15 or 16 years now, and Jim Mayer started the band, and along with his wife and uh, uh, Gene Hall. And Gene Hall is a pianist and a lawyer and a writer, and... Uh, in the early years, we actually played one of his pieces, and he sat in on one of the tunes back when we were playing at Unity Temple on the plaza. So I've been on board uh, with the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra since 2003 or four when it started, and I think we did the first five or six years at Unity Temple, and then we did a year at the, the Folly Theater, and then we moved, when the Kaufman got built, we, well, we did several performances at high schools, and uh, uh, there was a time where we were actually doing two concerts, one at Unity Temple and another one at a high school, and then, and we were doing, but then we realized that was a little bit too much because our audiences, it was too expensive, and and uh, one concert would be full and the other one would be half full, you know, so, every, and then, of course, since the Kaufman has been built, uh, the audiences have been almost full houses, and so it's just been remarkable. Uh, the novelty of the great venue of the Kaufman and uh, the history of the band. And then after Jim Mayer left, Kerry Strayer took it over and we did a fantastic job for about seven years. And then um, he passed away with cancer at age 56. And then Clint Ashlock took it over. And so that brings you to the present. And, of course, I talked earlier about Steve Malloy handpicking the trumpet section. It's one of the finest trumpet sections I've ever been a part of. Uh, Steve Malloy, Bob Harvey, David A. Berg, and myself, and we're we're friends. We've done all kinds of oh, we've done all kinds of work together. Uh, not just jazz work, but brass choir, brass quintet, uh, casual big bands for for you name it. Uh, you know, so we we've known each other a long time and played together in lots of different local bands. I want to know: Is there any other outfits or regular gigs that you do in town? Yeah, I'm a freelancer, and uh, back in the day, I was working almost every day. I started working uh, in this town in 1980. I was on the road with five different bands for 10 years, from 1970 through 1980. 
and uh, uh, I met my wife during uh, the mid seventies, and then we got married in 1979, and uh, uh, on the road with. Uh, a uh, rock group from Lawrence, Kansas, called the Fabulous Flippers, which was was uh, kind of a rhythm and blues group, and it was quite popular in the '60s. 1970 was the final year for that band, and that band led to um, the rock jazz rock group Chase, led by trumpeter Bill Chase. You grew up in McPherson, Kansas, and graduated from high school in '68. I want to know. How did you get involved with music? Kind of talk to me about your family life and going into secondary education. Okay. Uh, my family was uh, both music teachers. My mom was a piano teacher, taught privately in the home. My dad was a violinist and a teacher at McPherson College. And uh, he, he taught, he, when he first started, he directed the orchestra and the band, taught music theory, music, music appreciation to non-music majors. And then the college grew, there were only two faculty members uh, at that time, and uh, the, finally, uh, by the time I graduated from high school, uh, there were nine faculty on people, and he just taught music appreciation, music theory, and private violin, but he was a very good, knowledgeable guy about music theory, and uh, so, uh, and then I had some wonderful teachers in uh, junior high which would be middle school, but we called it junior high back then. Les Sperling was a trombone teacher, and he he fed his music students fed into the high school. Um, and Bryce Looney was my high school band director, and there been uh, Ryan Heinlein who plays at Westport Coffee House. Uh, he was another uh, student of Bryce Looney. Uh, um, Bryce was in McPherson for 13 years, and then in Hutchinson Junior College, which is 30 miles from there. Uh, for another 25 years. So Bryce Looney was huge. He introduced me to the music of Stan Kenton. My father had a record of Stan Kenton in the home li music library, and and uh, uh, one of my father's students taught string orchestra at Shawnee Mission North, and uh, my wife, Patrice, uh, taught vocal music at uh, Shawnee Mission North here in town. Her parents were also music teachers uh, from Paola, Kansas, and uh, her mother was a wonderful soprano, and her father was an alto sax player, taught Spanish, and uh, a band director at Paola High School, which is where my wife graduated from. So anyway, um, uh, McPherson was uh, blessed with some great music teachers, and a lot of players came out of that town who went on and, and became... Uh, uh, either teachers or players or uh, had a terrific music appreciation. Uh, and then, like I said, Bryce Ludy introduced me to the music of Stan Kenton. We would go hear the band when they would travel through the t through t uh, neighboring towns. We went to Manhattan and we went to Wichita to see him, and I always had a dream to play with him. And then uh, after I went to school at Wichita University and then North Texas, uh, eight years after my high school graduation, I actually got to play with, with Stan Kenton. And so... So that's how that all started. One band led to the next. The Flippers led to Chase. Chase led to Stan Kenton. Stan Kenton led to Woody Herman. And Herman led to Buddy Rich. And I got to play with all those bands for, during a 10-year period on the road for, uh, from 1970 to 1980. And then I started freelancing here in town. And, and like, we were working just about every day, sight reading every day. And rehearsal bands started. The Boulevard Big Band started. 
1987, and we've already had our 25th anniversary, and now we're playing at Westport Coffee Shop once a month. And I'm also playing in the Vine Street Rumble, led by a wonderful drummer named Kent Roush. And we specialize in 1920s and 30s and 40s of Kansas City music history, music of Mary Lou Williams and Count Basie early, and, you know, James Shan, that kind of thing. I want to kind of stop in the middle of what you were talking about with dream-realized kind of stuff. And I think that's the great thing about your bio, is that you've been able to live these dreams of playing with these musicians. And you had Stan, you had Buddy, you had Woody. What did you learn from these people? Because that's a pretty formative age for you to really see these veterans. What did you get from watching them and being around them? Well, I I observed uh, uh, the strengths and weaknesses of each band leader uh, and their particular style. And uh, in, as far as leadership goes, and I also learned how to play a lot of the styles of each band leader, and uh, wh- which is huge because that includes many decades of of music history and how the styles changed. Like Stan Kenton started his band in '41, Woody Herman started his band in 1936. So I had to listen to a lot of recordings and learn. And and all and when we were playing in the 70s, we would have one or two charts representative of each of those periods of history. Like in Woody Herman, we'd do 1947 music of Jimmy Jufri, uh, Four Brothers. And, of course, we would do uh, uh, one of the pieces uh, that we did on the concert in October, uh, uh, September Song, which was originally a band vocal, but it was actually Stan's written arrangement. And it was Clint Ashlock's idea to to have me do it as as a uh, flugelhorn solo, and so I've never never. It was used to be a band vocal, and so we turned a band vocal into into a solo vehicle for me, which was a brilliant idea for Clint. And now, and I've never played that song hardly ever. Now I want to play it all the time. <laughs> and then <laughs> Buddy Rich, of course. I mean, all the flag wavers of, from Buddy Rich's library, like uh, you got to try. Uh, you know, a fast-moving Sammy Nestico chart, which is also recorded. The same musical arrangement was also recorded by Count Basie. But you hear one playing really fast and frenetic on top of the beat, and then you hear one just slightly slower and, and less higher, louder, faster, and on the backside of the beat was swinging like Basie. And the both bands swing really hard, but one plays on the backside of the beat and one plays on the top side. So top side of the beat. So all these different... You know, flag wavers of Woody Herman, like Caledonia, what make your big head so hard, and Stan Kenton, uh, Artistry and Rhythm, and Peanut Bender, all these great styles of music, you know. So, so history and, and music, that, uh, of all the different decades that, that these band leaders, uh, it was fun. And I've also read books. There was a book called Artistry and Rhythm written by Dr. Will Lee from Miami, Florida on the life of Stan Kenton. And then Mel Torme wrote a lovely tribute to uh, to Buddy Rich called Traps the Drum Wonder. That There's a lot of information in that book, and that's published by Hal Leonard. And then, of course, Woody Herman had several books. Uh, the Leader of the Band by Gene Lees is a great autobiography of, of Woody. And then there's another one written, written by, I uh, can't think of the guy's name, but it's called Chronicles of the Herd, uh, William Clancy. Cool. So the one thing, too, about your life in music is that Kansas City has always been a springboard. No matter how much you've traveled or where you've been, you've always stayed close to Kansas City. Why is that? Well, I grew up in McPherson, which was uh, 
which was right in the middle of Kansas. And uh, and I traveled uh, with local bands. I went to Salina, and I played with with the Mel Hurl Combo from Hayes, Kansas, you know. And I've also played in another big band from Topeka called the Kings of Swing. Uh, and then I learned uh, from, uh, you know, Tom Fowler. I played gigs with him, and he's the jazz director at Wichita University. And and Hutchinson had a had a jazz scene, and my, my high school band director turned me on to to all these band leaders and helped me find work and get started in the business. He helped helped me uh, start my own personal music library, and, and it's just amazing how many students he touched, Bryce Ludy. And then uh, Kansas City uh, just happened to be the biggest city close, closest to Paola, where my wife grew up. So once we got married, um, and she traveled on the road with me for some of the summers because she was teaching at North during the school year, and then she was free to travel with me uh, during some of the road years that I did in the 70s. But pay, uh, Kansas City was close to Paola, only like 40 miles south uh, of Kansas City. So so when I when we got married, we moved here in uh, late 79 to early 80s, and I began freelancing right away, and then I just loved Kansas City, fell in love with the city. It's always had a great, wonderful, historical jazz scene, and then for a while it, it diminished, and now it's coming back uh, just burning now with so much talent. People, the secret of a small city and a wonderful place to live is finally out now. And it's it's grown so much now. So Kansas City's always been my home. I felt like it was my home when I was on the road, and it's always and it's always been where I wanted to live here. So uh, yeah, family roots on both sides of the family. Totally, and, and you know we, you've touched on the Kansas City scene. And you've been here for so long, you've seen so many things happen, and I think that's the benefit of age is that you get the chance in something like jazz in a flagship city that really is a part of the history, entire history of jazz. What have you seen in your life that's changed over the years that has really been promising up to now? Uh, the road bands were were an incredible influence on, on on my career as a student because they were playing every night. Some of those bands would travel 50 weeks a year, 48 weeks when I started with Stan Kenton. So we would go listen to a road band. Of course, now that has changed. There, there aren't any full-time. There may be only one or two full-time road bands left. Glenn Miller, uh, even Glenn Miller and Count Basie aren't full-time anymore. Those were like the last of the... You know, the last of the Blue Devils is a line I always use, but of course, you know, Blue Devils has uh, Kansas City history in the 30s. Uh, but uh, now, then after those bands were kind of affectionately referred to as dinosaurs, uh, the road scene doesn't exist anymore, but what has taken the place of road bands is rehearsal bands. So rehearsal bands like uh, Fat Jones and Mel Lewis, that's how that band started. And, and find a find a venue to play once a week, and that's how the Boulevard Band got started here. And I play in several rehearsal bands, and uh, they're wonderful. And it, it's a way of keeping the music alive. And and there's this wonderful club here at Westport Coffee House, and this guy named Tom is is the proprietor there, and he's just done a wonderful thing. He has both small groups and big bands playing there. In fact, I'm going to be playing there on the December 26th with Brad Gregory's group, which is two saxes and and trumpet. I'll be trumpet and flugel 
and uh, Brad and, and Dave Shale will be playing tenor and alto, and, and we'll do some of the more modern things, like one of the local connections. I'm playing in a rehearsal band right now with Corita. Bobby Watson wrote a tune for her called Corita. Her name was Corita Baskin back in the day when I first moved here, and her brother, Rodney Baskin, has moved to Chicago, I think, and he was a bass player. I used to work with with Bob Sines, who was a piano player, and... and uh, Rodney Baskin was the bass player for that, so I worked with him. So, so I'm learning this new chart that Bobby Watson wrote called Corita, and I'm going to ask her. I'm playing with her tomorrow night in just a rehearsal, and I'm going to ask her if if Bobby did a big band version because the one we're going to do is a small group version. So you know the the scene has just grown, and there's so many new young players that are coming to town. There's, you know, Nate Nall has just released a nice CD. And, uh, you know, Clint Ashlock has several CDs out, and there's so many wonderful new talent that, and, and all these cats are playing at the Green Lady, Lady Lounge, and, and, uh, new jazz clubs have, have sprung up in town all over the city. And so, uh, what, like you mentioned, uh, dream fulfilled, uh, back in high school, my dream was to play with Kansas City, and, and of course, the concert we just did was last night, actually, uh, with, uh, uh, Chris Hazelton, he mentioned the dream uh, of him w- was to play live at the Kaufman Center with a big band, and, and he fulfilled his dream. So Eddie went to New York and, de- and decided it wasn't for him, but he came back here, and now he's thriving here. So the jazz scene has always been here. It's just it's just really thriving and growing right now. What do you like best about being a musician? Uh, I love the music, and and I have had. I've done everything from brass quintets to Broadway theater and uh, traveled on the road and, and just about any kind, you know, played cops at funerals, just about any any kind of brass music that there is, uh, I have participated in and at some at some point of my career. And, and of course, music education helped, helped launch that uh, at several colleges and my home and McPherson. And, but... Uh, just listening to music and hearing people talk about how passionate they are and what a wonderful art. And, and somebody once said, I can't imagine a life without music. And I know there are people that live their lives um, who don't have music in their life. But they're, you know, but for us, it's it's not just a hobby. It's It's a passion for the art. And you get a special kind of feeling when you get to play with an ensemble. There's a special feeling that's that's unlike any anything else. It's like you blend in with your neighbor, and 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 you're part of a, an organized sound. And and it, there's just so much beauty to that. And and then when it swings, in the case of jazz, there's a special feeling that jazz has. It's it could be cool, it could be happy, it could be sad, but there's you know it could be gospel or whatever. There's just so much wonderful. Uh, music out there that I've I've been taught to learn to love and and it's a, it lasts a lifetime this passion for it so I'm going to keep playing as long as I can hold the trumpet without dropping it and uh, so far you know I'm in my late 60s now and I'm I'm of the age of some of the band leaders that I played with back in my mid 20s and so I'm I'm looking at it <laughs> from a different point of view now but. Uh, the passion is there, and I'm always listening to new people. That, and it's just amazing to me how how an artist can take an old song and and redo it 
differently than somebody else has ever done it. So it's magic time is what it is. So if you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger self, like in your 20s, what advice would you give them? Work hard, be humble, and trumpet players are, are, are no, notorious for having egos. And everybody has an ego, but, but if you can be humble and work hard and practice and organize your practice so it's balanced and play in as many different ensembles as you can play uh, so you learn all these different styles, because young people don't know what they want to do in life. A lot of, you know, a lot of great musicians are also policemen or doctors and lawyers or whatever uh, their profession is, teachers. But, uh, you know, and, and some people think, oh, I just want to play jazz. But no, I say play play all these different things and make, be versatile. Like look at Wynton Marsalis. He can play classical. And look at Alan Vizzuti. He can play classical and jazz, you know. So it's just amazing, uh, you know, be be versatile and, and learn to play humbly. Like if if what makes a great first trumpet player is a great second trumpet player. And if that... If those two guys can work together, they can play with anybody, you know, because if you've got two, two guys that are competing with each other, it's, it can be more difficult than two, by, two guys or women who, who, uh, or people who, who want to learn to blend in with an organized sound. I, that works best for me, so no matter what size group. If a jazz DeLorean pulled up in front of your house, you could punch the digits in and go to any time in Kansas City history – where are you going to go and who are you going to see? The, when you listen to the recordings of Count Basie uh, back in the 40s, back w- when the Pendergast era it, it was happening between the 30s and the 40s, uh, that band had so much swing and so much energy that I can only imagine being there at that time. And, you know, most of the concert halls that we played in the 70s, we were lucky if we had... 250 people in an audit, in a small auditorium, and these bands of the 40s that were so popular would play these large venues, and there'd be 8,000 people in the audience. I cannot imagine bands being that popular. I mean, it's like rock concerts today, you know. But but back in that era, um, it, it just the, to hear those recordings and, and hear how hard, how much soul and swing was was happening, it just is thrilling. And that's what we try to do is to recreate that sometimes when we, you know, and, and so now it's it's a lot more modern and, and there's a lot more technology. But whether it's live or recorded, it, it still has to have that wonderful spirit and that swing and and that, uh, and, the, and people that are like a family. When, when you have players that have played together as long as we have in the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra, it's like a family and it's a special feeling for the people, not just the music, but it's both. Why do you love jazz? I think because of the special feeling that I just described. And it's it's America's music, you know. I mean, it was it was born in, I mean, you could say that some of the rhythms came from Africa, but, but it was really born in New Orleans, and then it worked its way up the river to St. Louis and Chicago and all these places in between, and, and it became popular music, and now it has stood the test of time, and all these great old standards from the 40s are still relevant today, and I can't wait to, to – I've got several events the, the rest of this month that I'm going to get to play, uh, just play old, great old American standards. And, and, and there's just a special feeling uh, for the lyrics and for the beauty of, of the great songwriters, you know. And, 
And uh, I love orchestral music, too. I go to symphony concerts. My wife's with with the symphony chorus and the Kansas City Chorale, and, you know, and, and um, I commissioned Mark Taylor to do a waltz for Patrice with Patrice is my wife and he came out with that and we premiered it with the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra on uh, the 2013 concert uh, featuring all the trumpets in, in uh, all the uh, it was trumpet night and so each trumpet player played a solo and and uh, that and uh, we had a guest soloist uh, uh, Randy Brecker with the with the band that night it was just wonderful so. And my final question to you is this, and it'll be probably the uh, uh, probably the, one of the harder ones. But everyone has a perception or a notion of who they think you are: your family, your friends, your fans. But you know who you are best. Tell me, who do you think you are? I don't like to see myself as a celebrity. I like to see myself as as a hardworking trumpet player, and and a hard, and a nice person who 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 has a lot of friends and. And I'm lucky because I get to play music for my career, and and I'm lucky that I've had all these experiences in in music with all these different in music education and all these bands I've got to play with and all the bands I'm playing with now. And and I love music, and and uh, it's just something that has always been a special part of my life. My family taught me it, and my teachers taught me it. My wife and I talk about it all the time. We're both passionate about it, and she's in choral music, and I'm in instrumental music. I just see myself as a hard-working trumpet player that, and that is lucky enough to get to play with other hard-working musicians. And, and it seems like lately I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by a whole bunch of humble people who, who share my philosophy. It's kind of like that. I don't know. Does that answer the question? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that nails that. That's a great, great answer. And Jay, thank you for the music. Thank you for what you do for Kansas City. And certainly thank you for your time with the well, Jazz State. I can't thank you enough for being so interested in it. And I'm glad I got to meet you last night. And I'll look forward to... To seeing you at other concerts and talk, talking with you further down the road. So, so thank you for for asking wonderful, intelligent questions, and, and uh, I look forward to to visiting with you in the future. And you have a lovely uh, Christmas season and a holiday, and I'm sure it'll be listening to a lot of great music. And so, thank you for the opportunity to to talk with you today. Anyway, it's an honor for me to to be your guest. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Jay for his time, his class, and his cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Jazz.